Welcome to the Determined Truth Podcast. I want the truth. You can't handle the truth. Where we aim to explore questions of truth, the scriptures, and what it means for the church today. Here's your host, Rob Dalrymple. Today's podcast is from a sermon series I did on the Gospel of Luke. I hope you enjoy. Good morning. My name is Rob Downup. I'm the pastor here. And before I forget, we're going to let you all know that there's a rose up on the uh, podium this morning for Magnus David Rowland, born April 13th to the parents of Jason and Liz Rowland and the grandparents, Alan and Pam Abbey. We're going to continue our study of the Gospel of Luke this morning. We're in chapter 6 for one more week. It seems like we've been there for two months, maybe because we've actually been there for two months. Um, uh, Last week we were looking at the topic of um, uh, love, Jesus' uh, intense commandment to love even your enemies. And and what does that look like? Uh, This morning we're going to talk uh, even further about that and, and give without expecting anything in return. But last week we mentioned the fact that love by definition, is not self-seeking. Love seeks the interests of others. Uh, And we took that context and said, okay, let's look at what we do in worship on a Sunday morning. Uh, And we mentioned the fact that we kind of do a blended style of worship. Sometimes we'll sing a hymn on the organ, and then we'll do a contemporary song. And some of you like the hymns on the organs, and some of you like the contemporary songs. And and how do we handle that when there's a song that, that I don't like? And the answer is, you know what? Rejoice that someone else does. Rejoice that someone else is worshiping right now. If a song you don't like, you can't sing along with it, then just pray and thank the Lord that somebody else is worshiping and ask God that, in fact, that, that, that uh, their worship experience might, might be more dynamic uh, uh, during that time. So this morning, uh, we're going to do things a little differently, and I know that's like a nasty word in the church to do something differently, um, but we're going to take some of the songs out this morning and just kind of hear some of the testimonies of people, the songs that really speak to them and to their hearts, and why does it speak to you and, and, and to your heart so that we can better appreciate uh, what's happening in the context uh, 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 of our church body. So I get to go first. Uh, my song is, of course, the one song that everyone should like because it's the best song. Um, and what would she say? No, I'm actually not picking that one. It's the other one. I only have one song on my phone, and my daughter actually kind of gets uh, hates it because it gets old, and it's I Can Only Imagine, um, which is the second best song. The best song is Amazing Grace. Thank you, thank you. I knew I was right. So everyone else that comes up, they're going to give you the... Uh, um, uh, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. Now, it's not only a great song because it can be sung to the tune of Gilligan's Island. <laughs> amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was... Okay, anyway, anyway. <laughs> Tough crowd. Tough crowd. <laughs> um, last week's sermon was on love. Um, yeah. Uh, anyways, one of the things I like about that song is it just reminds me, you know, some people have these dynamic testimonies. They, they come up and say how, you know, they did this and they did this and then they were on drugs and they were alcoholics and they murdered 14 people. And, they, you know, and then God saved them. And they have this dynamic testimony of what God's done for them in their lives and that reminds them regularly of God's amazing grace. Well, for me, the song Amazing Grace reminds me that I'm no better than anybody else. And if it's not for the grace of God, there go I. 
I especially like the last stanza, the, the fourth stanza. They're called stanzas, right? Okay, got it. All right. Um, uh, it says, when we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. So uh, that's the song that reach, uh, uh, reaches my heart. If you have your Bibles, open them up to the, the Pew Bibles to page 729, or your own Bibles to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 6. I'm going to start in the middle of the chapter. I titled this, uh, the, the message this morning that Jesus is bad for business. Uh, this is one of those messages that, um, as I've thought about and contemplated all week and, and, uh, and, and worked on or whatever, it's, it's one of those messages, in all honesty, and this is all honesty here, uh, a pastor, I, I fear that it will be heard by many and listened to by few. And I don't mean that in a bad way to you. I just think that this is one of those things that Jesus is going to tell us that we're going to go, I don't really know how to do this. Uh, how do I put this into practice? So let's look carefully. Gospel Luke chapter 6 verse 35 begins this way. But love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great and you'll be sons of the Most High for He Himself is kind to ungrateful and evil men. Give without expecting anything in return. Uh, this is something that we may have heard about uh, many, many times. If you've been in the church at all, you, you've heard this notion. But I dare say when Jesus said these words, the disciples and anybody else listening were going, what are you talking about? Because it makes absolutely no sense in the ancient Roman world. To give without expecting anything in return then why would I give? The nature of their system, the nature of their culture, and it's not too different for us as well, but the nature of their system was a system of what's called patronage. A patron is a person who has all the resources. The people who need those resources are called the clients. So let's say I'm the patron and I've got these resources. Maybe I've got some money so I have the source of jobs and you need me. Uh, maybe I have uh, enough money. I'm going to bless the whole city. I'm going to build the whole city. I'm going to build you a library or a theater. And I'm going to bless everybody in the city with a theater. You get to get this, uh, plays and it's just going to benefit this, the whole city. Well, that makes me the patron and you uh, the, the benefactors. Right, and what happens and what I get out of this by building you a, a, a theater is you all owe me. I'm in your, in your debt because now you are all blessed by this theater. I'll have my name on it and be dedicated to me. And every time a play happens, I'll be thanked and welcomed. You know, and, and I'm going to get benefits. Maybe I get an amount of revenue that comes from the use of the theater. or, or what, Maybe I get tax benefits from the city. or I'm going to benefit more because of what I've given. But I'm, I'm the patron. You're the benefactor. Uh, we, there's, a, there's an inscription in the uh, ancient Corinth, this, this uh, was discovered. Uh, it dates to the first century, and it says, Erastus, it's in Latin, of course, but in return for his idolship, which is a government office, paved this road at his own expense. Uh, you can see perhaps a little bit of the inscription on there, Erastus. Uh, Erastus pro uh, stravit. Stravit is the Latin word for road. Uh, Erastus paid for the street all by himself with his own money uh, for, for the benefit of the city. And what happens, of course, then, is the city's going to again give him an idolship, which is a, a public office. The book of Romans, chapter 16, verse 23 says, Erastus, from Corinth, Paul writes, Erastus, who is the city's director of public works, and our brother Cortus send you their greetings. It's probably the same guy. 
Romans was written from Corinth, and a man named Erastus, who has the office of public official, sends you their greetings to the church in Rome. And we find an inscription that he built this road, this street, so that you would give him that office. He benefits, uh, you benefit, and he benefits. This is the system. Now the problem with the system, of course, is very simple. There's no one to look after the poor. You only give to get something back. And if you give to get something back, you ain't giving to the poor because they ain't giving back. And who looks out for them? And if you recognize the message of Jesus by now, he comes into the synagogue in Nazareth in chapter 4 of the Gospel of Luke and says, I have good news to the poor. And as a result, Jesus is going to have to overthrow, undermine, the entire economic system of Rome. And as a result, he's actually undermining our economic system as well because there are elements of this that we ourselves, that we do ourselves. So, again, to summarize Jesus' commands in Luke 6, the new law is not only that you will love your neighbor, but also your enemy. That's the new law of Jesus. Luke chapter 6, again, verse 35. But love your enemies and do good, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you'll be sons of the Most High, for he himself is kind to ungrateful and evil men. And here's the, thing that, the next thing to, to note. Jesus says that when we, were, when we respond like this, when, when we live this out, we are doing so in imitation of God. You'll be sons of the Most High, for he himself is kind to ungrateful and evil men. You're going to be like your father. Uh, in, in the Jewish world, to say you're a son of meant you have the character or attributes or qualities of the Father. The Jews come up to Jesus in the Gospel of John. And they say, Abraham is our father. And Jesus said, if Abraham is your father, then do the deeds of Abraham. If you're children, you're going to act like Abraham's kids. Jesus, says, by the way, he turns around and tells them, you're sons of the devil. You act like the devil. So the message of Jesus here for us is, if we are going to be like our Father, then we are to be kind and do good and to lend without expecting anything in return, because that's what God does. And by the way, we are the ungrateful and evil men that he's referring to. Jesus' grace to us is what made us his children. Luke chapter 6, verse 36, Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you'll not be condemned. Pardon, and you'll be pardoned. Give, and it will be given to you. Then uh, they will pour into your lap a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, for by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you in return. Jesus says three things here in, in this particular uh, uh, section. First off, he's going to say, do not judge, and you will not be judged. Now, this statement is often misunderstood, by the way, because it sounds like this absolute, we are never allowed to judge. And of course, the problem with stay, saying that you're never allowed to judge, of course, is that if I'm in the act of judging someone, and someone comes up to me and says, you can't judge them, my response is, are you judging me? You see, it's inherently inconsistent. It, to take do not judge as an absolute is impossible. Right? Uh, the reality is that's not what Jesus is talking about. It's not, uh, you, we have, you had to judge me, 
to decide if I was qualified, my character, my training, my abilities, to be your pastor. You have to judge that. Uh, we're going to judge um, amongst ourselves to decide if, if someone's worthy of being a deacon or an elder in our congregation. Are they mature? Are they leaders? Are they spiritually mature? You know, judging is an important part of life and culture and even of the church. When Jesus says, do not judge then, he means don't have a statement or, or, or a predetermination as to who's worthy of grace and who's not worthy of grace. Don't decide in advance who is worthy of your love, of your affection, of your kindness, of your good deeds. And it's a hard one, by the way, right? Because guess what? We all judge. It's kind of inherent within our nature. Secondly, Jesus is going to say, pardon and you will be pardoned. Uh, to pardon, of course, means you know, to forgive uh, someone for what they've done. It, it doesn't mean, by the way, that we uh, um, have forgotten what they've done, as I mentioned last week. Uh, but to pardon uh, doesn't pretend that they're innocent. It's simply to not hold them permanently accountable. To not take someone who's a recovered alcoholic and say, you're still a drunk. No, they've recovered. Uh, we're going to pardon them. We're going to give them grace and forgiveness. It falls under the do not judge category. Um, the same idea. Don't deem them unworthy of grace. Pardon them. The reason for pardoning them is so you'll be pardoned. Thirdly, he says, give and it will be given to you. It's a call for generosity. But of course, as we know what Jesus is saying is give to everyone. Not expecting anything in return. Give, and it will be given to you. Uh, um, uh, he used the illustration of, of uh, when you're um, uh, selling grain, you're going to fill a, a, we'll just use American standards, a, a, a gallon jug. You buy a gallon of, of grain from me, I'm just going to fill it up and go, here you go. Jesus says, no, shake it. Shake it up. Let, let, let the grain settle down. Press it down and then fill it some more. And then shake it and then press it down and then fill it some more. Jesus, that's bad business. I'm, I'm giving more grain than I need to give. I, I could just pour it in this thing, give them a gallon. I know it's not a gallon. We all know it's not a gallon. That's just the way it is. No. Press it down. Shake it. Fill it some more. Give. And it will be given to you. Now, the next part, uh, Jesus is going to tell three parables, or maybe proverbs, however you want to look at this. Starting in verse 39, he says, He also spoke a parable to them. Uh, a blind man cannot guide a blind man, can he? Uh, will they not both fall into a pit? Uh, a pupil is not above his teacher, but everyone, after he's been fully trained, will be like his teacher. And, and why do you look at the speck that's in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that's in your own eye? Jesus' next words were, watch, watch who you follow. Be careful who you follow. Uh, after all, the, the blind cannot lead. The blind, uh, and a pupil will be like his teacher. And he's warning the, the disciples, be careful who you follow. Uh, by the way, of course, that warning for Jesus and his disciples would have been against the religious leaders of his day. Watch out for the leaven. Uh, the word leaven is uh, the word for yeast. Uh, uh, a little yeast leavens the whole batch of dough is a famous saying. What it means is you put a little yeast in the batch of dough and it spreads throughout the whole batch. Watch out for the leaven of the Pharisees, Jesus will say. Be careful who you follow. Uh, as we move on from the teachings of Jesus to the rest of the New Testament, uh, we're quick to find out that every letter of the New Testament, essentially, the ones written by Paul to Galatia, to Corinth, to Philippi, or to Timothy, or the, the letter of James, or the letter of Peter, or the letters of John, they're all written to address false teachers. Uh, 
Because you see, it's easy to get someone who comes in and says the things we want to hear. But the words of Jesus are tough and they're challenging uh, and, and they're uneasy and, and, and they're uncomfortable. And Jesus says, be careful who you follow. Verse 42. Uh, or how can you say to your brother, brother, let me take the speck that's in your eye when you yourself don't see the log that's in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye and then you'll see clearly to take the speck that's in your brother's eye. For there is no good tree which produces bad fruit. Nor, on the other hand, a bad tree which produces good fruit. For each tree is known by its fruit. For men do not gather uh, figs from thorns, nor do they pick up grapes from a briar bush. Jesus says, look, watch out for the speck that's in your brother's eye. It's important to, to take the speck out of his eye. But folks, if you don't address the log in your own eye, first you're a hypocrite. It's appropriate and important to point out sin in one of those lives. It's loving. But I have to first address the sin in my own life. I can't assume that I'm above sin. Galatians chapter 6, brothers and sisters, verse 1, if someone's caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. It doesn't mean that we have to be perfect, of course. It means we're called to be humble. Luke 6 is going to end then with a warning to listen to the words of Jesus. Verse 45. The good man, out of the good treasure of his heart, brings forth what is good. And the evil man, out of the evil treasure, brings forth what is evil. For his mouth speaks from that which fills his heart. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and acts on them, I'll, I'll show you whom he is like. He's like a man building a house, who dug deep and laid a foundation on the rock. When a flood occurred, the torrent burst against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who has heard and has not acted accordingly is like a man who built his house on the ground without any foundation. And the torrent burst against it and immediately it collapsed. And the ruin of that house was great. Jesus says, the one who listens to me is the wise man. The rock is Jesus. The house, by the way, and if you're, uh, to the disciples and the Jewish people who would have heard Jesus uh, talking, the house would have been the temple. If you build your temple... On a bad foundation, it's going to get washed away. But if you build it upon me, I'm the rock. And it will always last. A wise man listens to the words of Jesus. But there's a problem. And that is, these are difficult. These are challenging. How do we go about doing this? And so let's, let's look at the question, how we apply these words today. Let me point out a couple things. Number one, we'll be children of God. The call of Scripture, the call of the church for Jesus is for us to imitate Christ. It's not just a simple message of, hey guys, I'm going to die for your sins, and if you confess and repent, then, then, then you're good to go. No, if you confess your sins and then follow me, you're good to go. But follow me is to imitate Jesus, to be a child of God. 
that it begins, of course, not with just outward actions, but with an inner transformed heart. We read the beginning of Ezekiel, or the middle of Ezekiel 36 earlier, as a responsive reading. Verses 22 and 23. Now let's look at Ezekiel 36, verses 24 through 27. God says, I will take you out of the nations. I will gather you from all the countries and bring you back into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I'll give you a new heart and I'll put a new spirit in you. I'll remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I'll put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and to be careful to keep my laws. To do what Jesus is telling us to do and asking us to do, uh, it requires a new heart. This old self, Rob, ain't going to do it. I ain't going to give and expect nothing in return. I, I need to get something out of this. So why would I do that? So Jesus, come. Take my heart. Transform it. What does a clean heart look like? Well, it looks like not judging. Jesus is saying, if you're going to deem who's worthy and who's not worthy of grace, if you're going to make a criteria list, okay, in order to be worthy of grace, you must. Jesus' answer is, I'm going to do the same for you. Do not judge lest you be judged. For by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you. If you have a standard that says, in order to get into God's kingdom, you must. I'm going to give you a standard. And you won't reach mine either. To get into God's kingdom, we must what? Repent. Because we're not worthy. None of us are worthy. So when someone walks in and we look at their appearance and we think, okay. We listen to their speech and we think, okay. We judge all the time. It's human nature, right? As we get to know people, we judge them further by their education, uh, by their occupation, um, by the perceived wealth. And we can judge wrongly. And we often do. And Jesus says, look, the commandment, do not judge, means that we cannot deem somebody unworthy. This is extremely important. It's extremely difficult. But it's extremely important, by the way. Uh, I don't think that, I'm not here to say this morning, that, that we can actually get rid of our proclivity to judge people. Uh, you know, evaluations and judging is sometimes wise and discerning. Uh, but we have to be careful and aware of the fact that we're actually doing that. You, you see, when, when someone comes to church, one of the first things that we're going to do is we're going to look for someone like ourselves. I, I feel comfortable around people like myself. Well, people that are like me, I know what to say and I know what not to say. Uh, I've become good friends with a number of African-American leaders here in town. We're working together on some different things. And, and I know when I go to P Pastor Oscar Anthony's church, I'm not sure what's right and what's wrong. I, I know I have to dress a certain way in an African-American church, and, uh, but I'm not sure what's okay to say and what's not okay because I, I'm not used to that context. So when I'm around people that are like me, I'm comfortable. So when a person who comes into our church as a visitor, what are the first things they're going to do? They're going to look for people like themselves. Now what that means for us is we have to be willing to be uncomfortable. 
We have to be willing to step out of our comfort zones and to greet and to welcome and to invite and to engage the people that aren't like us so they can come in. Secondly, Jesus says to give without expecting anything in return. Luke 6.35, love your enemies and do good. Lend, expecting nothing in return. The the command to give... I I can't read the slides on my phone, sorry about that. Uh, Oh, there you go. Okay, Uh, I'm going to go over that slide in a minute. I need to wear glasses to be able to read my phone. Um, The the command to give without expecting anything in return is going to radically alter our economics. To give without expecting anything, it will radically alter our economics. This is from the United States Department of Labor. So I would assume that's a pretty credible source. United States Department of Labor. Uh, in 2016, they released estimates from the International Labor Organization that indicate, quote, that there are 152 million children from 5 to 17 years old in child labor. 73 million of them are in hazardous labor that by its nature can have adverse effects on their health, safety, and moral development. From the International Labor Organization, at any time in 2016, at any given time, there was an estimated 40.3 million people in slavery, indicating 24.9 million in forced slave, slavery, and an additional 15.4 million people in forced marriages. <clears throat> and here's a slide. People do not enslave people to be mean to them. They do it to make a profit. 40 million slaves, 152 million children working in our world today. And they're not doing it to be mean, they're doing it to make a profit. Uh, commonly what happens in, in, in a lot of villages in Africa and in, in third world uh, countries is uh, someone will come into the village with a truck and say, hey look, we got a new company, we're, we're building this and we, we got all these jobs, who wants a job? We're going to give you this much money and you're going to have this great job, come with us to the city. And as soon as they get in that truck, they became a slave. And there's no way out. It's very, very common. I have a good friend who uh, works for an organization called Seeking to Save. He's the executive director. And I, I, said, I said, Mark, help, help me uh, uh, process this. Um, what, what does a congregation like mine, what do I say to them? How do we do this? How do we take this ethic of Jesus and apply it? And this is what he said to me, one of the things he said to me, he said, he said and I think in a nutshell, that what's driving so much traffic labor in our de- uh, is our desire to have more stuff and to pay less for it. While ignoring, or staying blissfully ignorant, the likelihood that someone was disadvantaged somewhere along the way to make such a scenario possible. Our, our passion to have so much stuff is driving this problem. Mark gave me several things that, that, that we can then do. He said, number one, he said, buy local stuff and know who you're buying it from or be willing to pay extra to support a local community of artisans, farmers, tradespeople. Farmers, furniture makers, seamstresses and tailors, and lumber mills. Buy local, where, where you have more of a certainty or more of an assurance, not absolute assurance, but more of an assurance that it's not being produced by someone that's in bonded labor. Mark said, number two, Buy used stuff. Buy something used. 
And then you know that the process of bonded labor at least is eliminated, at least in terms of a second time. Number three, buy less stuff. Buy less stuff. A church I used to work at, we used to have a, um, around December, uh, we would have a, 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 a fair uh, called, uh, f- what's called fair trade. Uh, uh, we'd set up all these uh, um, uh, canopies and everything else, in a market base, a marketplace. Uh, and every item in the market was a fair trade item. Uh, what that meant is that the people that were putting those items there would guarantee that it was made by an individual who was not working as a slave. Uh, that, that that person was, was making the item themselves and was being paid a fair, a fair wage. That, that's the bottom line. The person was being paid a fair wage. It wasn't produced by child, uh, by children who are, who are slaves or by children who are working and shouldn't be working. And it wasn't produced a, a, as a slave. Uh, and here's what would happen. We'd set this up in December and say, look, buy family members a Christmas present. Uh, and, and, right, here's the problem. The stuff was too expensive. We could only do it for a couple of years because after a while, they just simply didn't make any money on it. It, 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 it didn't work. Because if I want to buy a potholder for 25 bucks, I could buy a potholder for $25 and be assured that the person who made that potholder was paid a fair living wage. But a potholder is not a very nice Christmas gift. And my family members are expecting more. And if I pay $25 for a, pot, a potholder, I don't have a whole lot of money left to buy them the more they're expecting. See what Mark says? Buy less stuff. Our passion, our desire to have so much is driving it. The reality is now is, I can't, is we'll go ahead and pay someone who owns a factory who can produce potholders at a rapid rate who may well be suppressing his employees, giving them less than a dollar a day, but now the potholder's 75 cents. And I can buy everybody a potholder and still have money left over to go out to lunch. (laughs) Our economic system is driving slavery, abuse, and tragedy. That's why I said at the beginning of the message, I, I think this is going to be one of those messages that, that, every, that a lot of people are going to hear, but very few people are going to listen to. Because it's difficult. It's tough. We're going to have to be content buying less and receiving less. If we demand excess, if we demand to live at our standards that we live at currently, somebody else is going to suffer. It's a simple fact of any economics at all in our world today. It is a fact. To have what we have, somebody else has to suffer. If you want to test this out for yourselves, you can go online uh, and and do a Google search on on slavery footprint. And you'll be given to a website. And that website will ask you a series of questions. How many TVs do you have? How many phones do you have? How many of this do you have? How many of this do you have? How many of this do you have? How many are, and when you're done with the questions, it will then tell you how many slaves work for you. I have a hundred. A hundred. The things that I have in my home, a hundred different people were enslaved to make it. It's tough. 
But as I struggle with this, as I think as we struggle with this, I think this is the radical message of Jesus. We, we titled this series, Who is This Man? And what we're finding out more and more is he's radical. And his call is radical. His call is for justice and equity and fairness for all and not for some. In order for it to be all and not some, we're going to have to buy less stuff. Now, there's other things we can do, I think, also, and that's very quickly, and that's this. We can volunteer to help the underprivileged. We can volunteer at schools. One of the best ways to help people out of poverty is to give them an education. And the schools in the poor side of town aren't as good as schools on my side of town. So let's go to those schools. Let's volunteer. Let's help them out. Uh, let's become a role model for one of these young men or young women. Be a big brother or a big sister. Come alongside them and help them and give them some of the things that they lack. Beyond that, I don't know what the answer is. I just know it's a hard one and it's tough. And I know that if we want to be sons and daughters of our Father in Heaven, we will give and expect nothing in return. We will pardon and we won't judge. And we'll open the gospel to everyone. Please join me as we pray. Father, these words of Jesus are tough. I read this sermon from an Apple computer and controlled the slides with an iPhone. And I know really well that that meant that there were a number of slaves in the copper mines in India. And in the fac factories in Bangladesh. And there were people who made the shirt that I'm wearing that were probably not given a fair wage. And that there are children making bricks and stones that will not have an opportunity to go to school because they have to work too many hours because they fell into debt for some reason and the person who gave them money charges them such an exorbitant interest rate that the family has to have their, all their kids work too just to pay the interest back and the capital will never be paid back so for the rest of their lives that family will be in slavery so help us Lord to reckon with this message and with the words of Jesus not with my words but with your words and to be convicted that we need to do something differently and I don't know what it is for my life so I certainly can't tell everybody else out here what it is for their lives it has to be what your Holy Spirit convicts us of but we thank you for Jesus because if it's not for the grace of God there go I to begin with so I have no basis to judge because you loved me when I was your enemy so help us to love and to welcome. But also, Lord, help us to be content with less so that others don't have to suffer, so that those kids can go to school. Help us to advocate for things like the International Justice Mission who's trying to rescue girls from sex trade. And help our country and other governments of this world to put political power and pressure upon those who are doing these things. 
that they might stop and that these girls might be rescued, that they might recognize that their value is not in their body, their value is in that they are your children made by a loving God who atoned for their sins and desires to bring redemption, life, hope, peace, joy, and meaning into their lives. And we thank you for all that you've given to us, Lord, and as we continue to hear a few more testimonies this, this morning about songs and music that help us worship, help us, Lord, to continue to be that community that embraces the other and do so by welcoming you. We thank you for your grace and for your mercy. We humbly pray this in the name of our Lord and of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. If you would like more information on the Determined Truth podcast, you can find us on iTunes. You can follow Rob's blog at DeterminedTruth.com or purchase his books on Amazon.com. See you next time.